Well, how are you out there? We're in Matthew 13, working our way through the kingdom parables. And so let's get to Matthew 13 tonight. Uh, we're going to read, well, I'm going to read to you verses 44 through 46. We're going to cover two of them. Some of them are short, and these two work together. And so uh, we're going to cover two tonight. So that means plan to be here until around 10 o'clock, I think. They say if you keep people that long, you either have to feed them or perform a miracle. So we're going to see what happens. But Father, we thank you tonight for Matthew 13. We thank you for these verses, 44 through 46, two kingdom parables. Father, continue to uh, open our eyes up to the fact that we are in this world, but not of it. We're just passing through. We are citizens of a different kingdom because the moment we said yes to Jesus and became born again, we became part of the family of God and citizens of heaven. So, Father, tonight, continue to teach us what the kingdom is like so that as we function in this life, we can always keep our eyes on the prize, and that's heaven someday because of your grace and the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44, two kingdom parables. Listen, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, that which when a man has found it, he hides it for joy. Therefore, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he has found the one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So two pretty short parables, but yet there's a lot of powerful uh, wisdom tucked in here, and we're going to unpack that tonight. These two kingdom parables have enough similarities that you can pair them together because their conclusion is the same, and we're going to cover that. But the, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the, great, the pearl of great price are familiar to us, and again, they tell us what the kingdom of God is like. You know, many times us understanding spiritual things or eternal things can be difficult. Why? Because we're in these earthly bodies, we have our senses, and we're disconnected from that spiritual realm, that heavenly realm, and so it has to be described to us. It's kind of like, you know, being a, a mammal on land when you're underwater, even though you can enjoy that environment with the technology that we have, we really don't belong down there. That's why when fish swim by and you're down there, they look at you. They're like, you don't belong down here. But we as Christians do belong in the spiritual heavenly realm. It's just that, in a sense, because we're in the, the flesh and we live in these earthly bodies, we are fish out of water to the kingdom. So the kingdom needs to be explained to us, uh, you know, what it's like. And that's what these parables are all about. These two are going to give us some great insight. They pair up nicely together. They have similar conclusions. And they're telling us what the kingdom of God is like so that we can understand uh, in these lives that we live what it's going to be like when we go to heaven. Now, let's start with the parable of the hidden treasure. Humankind has always been fascinated and intrigued by the prospect of finding hidden treasure. Think about this, man. Uh, we have so many books, so many movies, so many literary works about, you know, seeking hidden treasure. And, you know, so many stories and movies and legends. You know, there are these folk legends about 
money that went missing, or this guy robbed a bank and he hid this money out here and it's never been found. And people get all excited and intrigued about that stuff. In fact, the truth is, you know, it could be a pirate movie or cowboys. You know, cowboys always buried stuff by some tree in the middle of the desert and you had to go 50 paces by the rock. And come on, you used to watch that stuff, right? The Pirates of the Caribbean, the Caribbean you know, the, those movies are so popular. All hidden treasures and secret things. There's always some kind of cryptic ancient map with vague clues, and you have to have wisdom and insight to understand it. Let's just admit it. Like some of you are trying hard not to connect with this, but I'm telling you, we all like it because the movies make so much money, and most of us have seen them. There's something in us that likes this prospect of buried hidden treasure, the adventure of it, the allure of it. I mean, look at Indiana Jones and all the mummy movies. Come on, you... It's, it's just, it's in us. And so, you know, the, Hollywood taps into that, but God understands why it's in us, that excitement, that intrigue. This parable taps into that sense of intrigue. There's an excitement when you find a, a hidden treasure. And that's what this is about. And it's using this as an illustration to show what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure buried in the field. Let's see what that means. Now, this treasure that this man found, if you check this out, and we're going to see there's differences between these two parallels, but parables. But here is an important fact about this one. He found this hidden treasure in the field. It's like unto treasure hid in a field, that which a man has found and hides it for joy. So he inadvertently found it. Now, I want you to, I want you to get in there. You know, you're looking at a piece of property. You're looking at a, uh, you know, a couple acres with a shed on it, and you're, you're going to buy it, and it's cheap, and you go in there, and you move some things around in the shed, and you find, like, two big 50-gallon drums full of gold coins. Now, half of you just woke up, and the greedy people are still sleeping. But, uh, you know, I mean, if you think about it, and, and they're like, you know, how much is this property? Oh, it's $15,000. $15,000? but you don't know what's on it. And, he, and, and you discover what's on it. So it's something that, you know, you just found inadvertently. And that's what, you know, that's what I want you to grab here is this, you know, you, you're discovering something that is not known. It's, you know, it was a secret. It was hidden. And you find it. And now you want to purchase that field at that price right away. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. Oh, you know, I thought I would just go to church. I thought I would just get some religion in my life. I thought I would just, you know, bring my kids someplace where they can get some spirituality. And all of a sudden you come to church and you discover Jesus. And you discover a savior. And you discover you're a sinner in need of a savior. What a coincidence, amen? Talk about being in the right place at the right time. Oh, well, I was just coming to church. I was just getting some religion. I was just, you know, wanted to have some good ethics in my life. Or, you know, and all of a sudden we discover that the kingdom of God is a treasure that we never could have expected. And even as we know Jesus and we walk with him every day, we discover more and more how wonderful he is, how awesome he is, how worthy he is of our lives. Amen. I've been walking with the Lord since I'm 14 years old. I'm 53 years old. There's never been one minute in my life where I thought, ah, this Jesus stuff ain't working out. 
he's always just amazed me time after time, even when it's uphill both ways, even when it's hard, even when the heavens are like brass, even when everything around me is saying, quit, turn back. There's never been, there's always been this sense where Jesus is the treasure that we discover every day, and he's the gift that keeps on giving. Amen. So the man goes into the field and he finds this treasure inadvertently. He discovers it, uh, you know, and he wants to purchase the field. Now, as he discovers the treasure but kind of keeps it under wraps, he shows himself to be both wise and a little bit shrewd. Say wise. Say shrewd. We should be a little bit of both of those things. Oh, no, we should just be honest all the time. We should just always tell the truth. We should volunteer all the information that we know. If the Nazis knock on the door, you got Jews in the basement? Yeah, I got a whole bunch down there. Sometimes God's people need to be shrewd. They need to be wise. The Bible says what? To be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Not to be dumb as a rock. It's, that's not in there. Wise, gentle. And, you know, we have to understand this guy is showing himself to be wise. Why? Because he doesn't go, you should see what I found in the shed. No. Keeps it quiet. He's showing, showing himself to be shrewd. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. You know, he wants to buy the field at the price that it's going for. He doesn't want to let on to the incredible uh, extra bonus that he's going to get there in this treasure that he's found. The parable lets us know that it's important for God's children to be wise. Listen to Matthew 10, 16 and 17. Behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Anybody feeling that? A lot of wolves out there, amen? And the wolves are getting bolder. You know, uh, if you go into places where they have a high wolf population, if there's a, a failure in the caribou herd or the migration or something, all of a sudden the wolves are looking for something else to eat. And if you live in Alaska or someplace like that, all of a sudden they're, you know, you see them more. They're on the outskirts of town because their food supplies dried up. You know, wolves get bolder under certain circumstances. The spiritual climate that we're living in now where the enemy's desperate and his time is short, uh, the wolves are getting bolder. And so he says, behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpent and as gentle as dove. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. So this whole concept of being wise as a servant, as gentle as a dove, is something we need to explore and work out for ourselves and understand exactly what that means. You know, I think uh, a lot of times we would look at this and just kind of shy away from it and go, no, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like a sir, I don't want to be shrewd, I, I don't want to. No, we need to understand what the Lord meant by that. So that's something for us to dig into. Obviously, the Lord doesn't want us to be dishonest. He doesn't want us to be uh, liars and cheaters, amen? But he wants us to be wise and a little bit savvy in certain situations. The, the parable also shows us it's smart for us to be discreet at times. Say discreet. The Bible says a fool says all that's in his heart. Better to be thought a fool uh, and when you open your mouth and to keep it closed, and what? And everybody thinks, hey, he's pretty smart. He looked at him, he's just sitting there, he looks good. And then, do you ever have somebody just open up their mouth and start talking, and you just go? Someone says hi to you on a bus, and you make, mistakenly say hi back. Four hours later, 500 miles later, 
You're looking for the emergency exit so you could jump out it. Discretion is important. Luke 16, 1 through 8 gives us the parable of the unjust steward. And I want you to see uh, th- there's a, a display of shrewdness or savvy in here that uh, is something that this unjust servant displays. And the Bible is trying to tell us that there's some wisdom in his behavior. Listen to this parable. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain man who had a steward. So this guy worked for him. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account for your stewardship, for you can no longer be my steward. Then the steward said to himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I have to resolve I have to resolve what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that I may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to them, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Did you hear that last part? It's kind of a lament. But what is it saying, that we should be slippery and sneaky and dishonest? Absolutely not. But what it is suggesting is here is that we need to learn to work the system of the kingdom as wisely and efficiently as people work the system of the world. Why is it that the world knows how to operate in the world system, but the children of God don't know how to operate in the kingdom system, in the spiritual system? We don't even know the extent of our spiritual authority. We don't even know the extent of the power we have in in Jesus Christ. We still got churches arguing about God can heal, God can't heal. There's no gifts of the spirit. We, we, We don't know our spiritual authority. We don't know how to work the system. We walk around beat up and broke and sick, and we don't realize that the enemy's under our feet. And the word of God's lamenting that here, you know, that the the children of the darkness, they, man, they work it. And the Christians are walking around, you know, defeated and beat up and broken down. and And we really have no business being in such a state. So understand, we should be wise and we should be discreet at times. We need to use wisdom and be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. The outworking of that can be sticky So, you know, I'm not licensing bad behavior here. I hope you understand that, okay? I see some people look really excited at this point. But it's wisdom. It's discretion. It's being savvy in the things of God. The text, uh, you know, that we just read there wants us to take a look at how we as children of God operate in the kingdom of God. And that's what these kingdom parables are about so we can understand can understand our authority we can understand our position we can understand uh, how the kingdom of heaven you know the lord's prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven wow you have the power to bind and to loose whatsoever you bind what's come on i mean there's there there's there's wisdom there's discretion there's spiritual authority that we need to discover now when we find a kingdom treasure 
We, we find something in the word. The Lord reveals something to us. In the place of prayer, we get an answer that revolutionizes our thinking. When we find a kingdom tre- treasure, we should do what's necessary to secure it in ourselves before blabbering to everyone about how we've got it. There's a lot of people that walk around saying, I got it, I got it, I've arrived, I'm mature, and, and we're not. You know, I think, I think about this a lot. You know, this guy doesn't tell everyone, look what I found, and, you know, I'm only paying this much for the property, and I'm getting this, and I found this. And No, w- what he does is he doesn't blabber it. He doesn't tell anyone. He keeps it to himself, and he does what it takes to secure the field for himself before he celebrates the treasure. Now, why shouldn't we just tell everybody everything? Why shouldn't we just get real excited and rejoice? Why shouldn't we just, you know, claim we've arrived when we're not quite sure if we have? And I'll tell you why. There's two reasons. Because sometimes when we say everything that's in our heart before it's established, there are people around us who will resist us because of what we found. People will resist you when you step into deeper things of the kingdom. And sometimes it will shock you who they are. They can be people closest to you. They can be people with your same last name. They can be people that you're married to. All the married people just look straight ahead now. Don't don't point. Don't do anything. But it's amazing who will resist us sometimes when we're about to go deeper into the things of the kingdom. So the reason we don't, blah, 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 look what I found, blah, blah. the reason we're discreet, the reason we're wise is because we're going to ramp up the resistance we face if we don't have discretion. We're going to stir up people to, you know, resist us and to discourage us and, and, and maybe talk about us or maybe, you know, speak words against us. You know, words are powerful. So... We don't want to stir up resistance for ourselves, and we don't want to stir up people to resist us. Number two, because our spiritual enemy is always listening. You know something about the devil, your adversary? He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. Where does he get his information from? Sometimes from us. It's stupid, though. There's times I'm brooding stuff in my spirit, Gucci, and I don't even say it out loud. I don't want the demons to hear it. I don't want the devil to hear it. I don't want my neighbor to hear it. I don't want the nominal Christians to hear it. I don't want the naysayers to hear it. I'm thinking of doing this. I'm thinking of doing that. You, you should have seen the resistance I got when, when the, whole, the Holy Spirit was brooding on me that we needed to go to two services. You, it was amazing who resist us. No, 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 no. You're faced that way. I got something for you. Get out of my office. Resistance. We stir it up when we, you know, when we don't have discretion, when we don't use wisdom, when we, we don't keep things to ourselves before, you know, we've secured them. Uh, I've noticed that in decades of walking with the Lord and in shepherding people, that all of us have a tendency to claim victory and possession of spiritual things prematurely. You get one victory, you, you, one time you, you, you don't blow it, one time you don't fail, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I've arrived, I've got it now, I've overcome that, and I'm done with that. 
only to just kind of let your guard down in your pride, and then the enemy slips in there and just waylays you the next time, and you fall worse than you did when you started off. Come on, anyone ever been there? What is that phenomenon? That is when we, you know, we claim victory too soon. We should be very humble and very cautious saying that, you know, we're, we've overcome, we're done, we're, we're insulated from this. We're not tempted by that anymore. Come on, I know this, I know this isn't happy, clappy, goosebump preaching, but it'll help us. I've found that over the years, I've claimed victory too soon. I've seen other people do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying we should not have faith. I'm not saying we shouldn't see the, with the eye of faith. But, you know, oh, we declare, I'm free or I'm healed or I've got the wisdom for this. I've overcome this issue only to repeat it again. So be discreet. Be wise. Be humble. Don't brag. Don't blabber. Don't tell everyone. You might be stirring up opposition for yourself. This guy finds the hidden treasure, and he wisely leaves it hidden. And he immediately takes the next step. He goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field. See, that's the right response. I'm going to secure this for myself. You know, sometimes we have, to, we have to seek God when he's near. We have to find God when he's near, amen? We have to make hay when the sun is shining. Hello? Oh, someday I'll get right with God. Someday I'll get serious about my call. Someday I'll, I'll chase my, you know, my ministry. But for now, I'm just going to have fun. You know, and people do this stuff. And it's a dangerous game to play. We have to seize, you know, we, we have to secure. And this guy goes all out in seizing and securing and establishing the treasure he's found to the point where he sells all that he has to buy that field. It's a really interesting response. You know, selling all that we have, you know what, that doesn't sound easy to our flesh at all. I mean, just the logistics of it. Most of us have so much stuff. It's just amazing in this Amazon shop at home, get it dropped off at the doorstep. They bring it by truck. They bring it by plane. They bring it by boat. They got drones dropping it down your chimney. Ho, ho, ho. The cyber Santa Claus. We got all kinds of stuff. Some people in front of their house every week, there's a pile of Amazon boxes. And there's stuff in their garage, there's stuff in their closets, there's stuff in their attics, there's stuff in their sheds. Do you know the biggest business around here seems to be those storage units? Everywhere you go, they're putting in a new bunch of storage units. I know that's because some people are moving and they can't, they don't want to part with their junk, but some of us just piling stuff up. I'm, I'm barely getting amens. All the hoarders are just glaring at me. All right, I'm feeling you. So, you know, this guy, he sells all that he has. I mean, the logistics of that enough would be crushing. But have you ever noticed that people who have a lot of stuff get attached to their stuff? Come on, say, ouch or amen. You ever try to sort through stuff to throw out or give away or sell? Don't get quiet on me now, you bunch of liars. Some of you. I, I go through stuff, and I'm like, I, I should get rid of that. I go, I go through my guitar racks, and I'm like, I should sell that. I should sell that. I don't need that anymore. Well, maybe I need that. Or, 
I'll, I'll just keep one of them. No, I, I can't let that one go. Oh, that was my first one. I got to hold on to that one. Well, this one's, uh, now the market's not good right now. And all of a sudden, by the time you're done, you didn't sell anything, you bought two more. It, the more stuff we get, the more we get attached to our stuff. And this guy makes an instantaneous decision before he celebrates what he's found. I'm selling all my stuff. Wow. Is there anything that we could think of that we would sell everything we have to acquire that one thing? Just Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing I can think of. So, you know, this guy makes the right response, and that's the response that we need to look at here selling everything and getting rid of everything to have that one thing. Now, if this seems harder to do, you know, than you would think, uh, it's true. Because think of the rich young ruler. What happened? The rich young ruler came to Jesus. What must I be, do to be saved? And Jesus basically told him, sell all your stuff, give away all your money, get, get rid of all that, you know, take up your cross, follow me. And what do you say? And he said, no way. And he went away sad. You remember that? That's the hardest part of that story for me. He went away sad. He knew he couldn't do it, but he knew as he was going away, man, I wish I could do it because, you know, I don't even realize what this is costing me, but I'm going away sad, you know. And that, that's a lot of the world is they see uh, Jesus and they see forgiveness and they see freedom from afar, but they don't want to give up their stuff to acquire. Now, you know, the thing is, it's a trick and it's an illusion because all of the stuff that the world has to offer is nothing compared to what God offers us in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? It's a good deal. I trade you all my junk. I give you all my garbage. I give you all this worthless stuff that breaks and rusts. It's just amazing. Everything we buy, everything we have, everything we make, it, it all falls apart. They're making things to fall apart quicker now these days. You know, you used to buy a refrigerator, and it would last until all your loved ones were dead and gone. Now you buy one two years later, it's, it's shot. The repairman comes, he, he looks at it, oh, yeah, it's shot. It needs a flux capacitor. We don't have any of those, and you just should buy a new one. Uh, that'll be $200. All the stuff that we hang on to, our treasure chests, our treasure chests full of trash, our hidden treasures of this world, they're all worthless when it comes to exchanging them for the kingdom of God and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we claim victory too quick. We, we're, we're too quick to celebrate. We blabber things that we shouldn't, yet this guy is wise. He sells all he has. And he makes the right decision. So the parable is a picture of us forsaking everything we've accumulated in our past and giving ourselves 100% to Jesus. You see, if we came to Jesus and we kept some of the baggage from our past, it's going to be an encumbrance for us. Every part of the past that we keep. Now, I'm not saying we need to come to Jesus broke and poor with nothing and sell your house and, you know, give up your car. And I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we've got to be sold out 100% to him. And we've got to be willing to lay aside anything that gets between us and him. Because anything that gets between us and him is an idol. And he's not going to put up with it. So this guy makes the right decision. He comes, he forsakes everything he accumulated in the past. He, he, he gives 100% of himself 
to acquiring this field, to acquiring the treasure. Now, Paul expressed this very idea in this way in Philippians 3, 7 through 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may obtain Christ. Wow. Wouldn't it be great if all of us could make that declaration that Paul just made there in Philippians 3? Be a good place to be, man. The rich young ruler walked away sad. Paul answered the call, and he sacrificed everything, and he rejoices. He's happy. Philippians, we're teaching through that on Sunday. It's the epistle of joy. Paul's happy about it. Yeah, I, I gave up everything, and, and, and what an awesome deal it was. And I counted all dung that I might obtain Christ. What a great attitude, the right attitude, exactly the point of this kingdom principle. Paul applied this kingdom principle to his life as he came to the Lord. And you see what God did with such a man who will make a decision like that. Who will say, I'll let go of everything, Lord. You just name it, and, and I'll let it go. And it means nothing to me. It's worthless to me that I might obtain you, that I might know you, that I might please you, that I might fulfill the call on my life. Amen. Now, of course, doing this is much easier said than done. Most of us resist doing it. Many do it grudgingly. A lot of us do it incrementally. You know, it's like we're holding this stuff and God takes one thing away out of the bag at a time. We're like, mm, mm, mm. the egg's getting lighter. Mm. Tour it down to that one thing and we're like, my precious. <laughs> God's like, I want that one thing. Yep, there's a little smeagle in all of us. We resist and we do it grudgingly. We do it incrementally. And you know what? Sadly, some people never do it at all. They go through this life walking their spiritual journey, dragging all this baggage and all this junk that just saps the joy out of serving God. So notice this wise man is able to quickly liquidate all that he has, and he does it with joy. Look what it says. And for joy, therefore, goes and sells all that he has. This, this example here that God's given us about how we enter into the kingdom is like, you know, this guy didn't sell it or give it away grudgingly. or He didn't, you know, complain. He didn't, you know, uh, get angry about it. No, he did it with joy. And it's been said before that attitude is everything. And you know what? That's true. Our attitude is so important. I used to hear people say, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take from an old grouch too. You ever hear people say that? I'm like, no, he doesn't want to take from an old grouch. You know what? In fact, I really believe that if we can't give with the right heart, God's like, just keep it. Just keep it. You know, I don't want it grudgingly. We don't need it. Oh, we don't. Oh, the church is going to close down because you don't want to give. God always provides for us. Amen? We don't... It's attitude. It's the right heart. And this guy has the right heart. He has the right attitude. He sells all that he has, and he does it with joy. Having the right attitude about Jesus will allow us to see so many things that we've clung to in the past before we met him as unneeded and unnecessary. 
Isn't it amazing the closer we get to him, the less of that stuff we need that we used to think we needed? Oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, and I need to eat this, and I need to drink that, and I need to have fun, I need to party, and I need to, and all of a sudden, I don't need any of that. I just need to be in your presence. I just need to get, you know, I just need to get this flesh crucified. I just need to get closer to you, amen. Amen, Wednesday night. And so uh, we're learning some things here about letting go and, and giving away and doing it with joy and the right attitude. And a lot of what we cling to is unnecessary. A lot of what we cling to is unneeded. And when we let go and sell all that we have and give ourselves 100% to the kingdom of God, we'll never be sorry that we did. Letting go of unnecessary baggage is a great thing. Declutter your life. It's a great thing. It's liberating. It's refreshing. And we should let the Holy Spirit show us what needs to go next. So the next kingdom parable is the pearl of great price. And it dovetails nicely with this parable of the hidden treasure. Let's listen to it. Verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So right away, there's some similarities we see right away. We're going we're gonna to talk about those. But let's identify the main difference here between the two. The first man inadvertently finds the treasure in the field. He found it by accident. You notice that. And when he found it by accident, he acted properly he sold all that he had and he acquired it now the difference between these two parables is this the first guy just stumbled upon it the second guy was seeking after it he was seeking out goodly pearls he had spent his life looking for them and that's different than just stumbling upon something when you're seeking something all the time, with all your heart, with all your focus, with all your energy, you know, you are not just stumbling through life. You are a seeker, and you're looking for kingdom things. Notice this merchant was actively pursuing the things of the kingdom of God. Now, there are times we stumble upon kingdom things, but there are many, many more times that we find them because we're actively looking for them. If you come to church and you're like, have no expectation, if you come to church and you just like, well, you know, I, I don't have any expectation that I'm going to hear from the Lord or I'm going to get anything from the word or nothing's going to happen in worship or I may be sick in my body, but I'm not going to be healed. If you come to church with no expectation, you just might get what you believe for. And the truth is, I think a lot of us have to ramp up our level of expectation when we come to church. I think we need to ramp up our level of expectation when we come to church. Amen? That, oh, it's church. I know what's going to happen. We're going to sing four songs, and then we're going to do this, and then he's going to talk for a while, and for quite a while. Then they're going to come and give some money, and then they're going to talk about what's going on, and then we're going to go to the Daily Planet, and I already know what I'm going to order. Too predictable. Where's our level of expectation? Amen? Because you know what? You get what you believe for. 
when you come and you bring an atti- a right attitude and you, you have faith and you believe God's going to move, you know, it, it's, it's amazing too. You could have one person comes with the right attitude, seeking God, believing God to meet them, and guess what? God does. And the word comes alive and it jumps out and it, and it, it fixes something in their heart. Maybe during worship, they're worshiping God and they were sick and all of a sudden, now they're not sick anymore. Do you know there's been times I've come up here with a, with a cough, with a fever, feeling sick, and when I'm done preaching... I'm healed. It's gone. You say, people say, well, you know, why don't, why don't you stay home? And, you know, if you're spreading germs, get a mask. No, I'm going to come do the will of God. I'm going to come preach the word of the Lord. Amen. And, and God shows up. So we got to ramp up our level of expectation. This guy was seeking after the, the pearl of all pearls, that one that one piece that he would sacrifice everything he'd ever acquired to get it, the pearl of great price. He was a seeker, actively seeking with a level of expectation that someday he'd find what he was looking for. We should be actively seeking the deeper things of the kingdom of God in a hopeful and persistent way. Sometimes I think we've lost our hunger and our thirst for kingdom things because we've been in the Lord for such a long time. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Now, you know what? One of the pitfalls is when you are a seasoned saint, when you've been around for a long time, when you've been saved for decades, naturally it seems that we lose some of our drive to experience new and fresh things in the kingdom of God. And a lot of people who are seasoned saints and been around for a long time, they they don't want to experience nothing new because they don't like new stuff. And they want to sit around and talk about the good old days. And we used to sing 15 hymns in a row. The good old days. You know, and it's always, God did this in 58 years ago, and in 1973 we had a move of God. And Look, and I'm, that's wonderful. That's our heritage. That's the good old days. Praise God. I love the hymns. I'm not knocking any of that. But you know what? God is doing a new thing, and he can't put new wine in the old wineskin. So we've got to have a yearning for the fresh stuff. I don't want the stale bread that's sliced up in the loaf with the thing and the, you open it up, fry hoppers. Once you have fresh bread, you don't want to eat that stuff. Seasoned saints. Sometimes we can get crusty and musty. And we can get tired. And eventually we can get lukewarm. And you know the dangers of that. So we've got to have our hunger and thirst. We can't let ourselves be satisfied. We can't lose our hunger and lose our thirst. And, you know, talk about the good old days. We've got to yearn for what God is doing now. Keep pursuing your first love. Keep pursuing Jesus. Don't get jaded in your pursuit of him. Amen. There's more. In verse 46, the seeker finds the pearl he's been searching for all his life. When he had found the one pearl, the pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. So he who seeks finds. Well, I've been seeking a long time. I'm a little tired. I'm a little discouraged. I'm a, uh, I've lost hope. Keep seeking because seekers find, amen. I guarantee if you stop seeking, you won't find. 
Then you knock your odds down to the guy in the first parable who inadvertently stumbled upon it. But usually once we've quit seeking, uh, we don't stumble upon it. God needs to revive us and refire us and, and, and ramp our faith up again. So keep pursuing Jesus, your first love, and don't get jaded. Go after him. He finds what he'd be seeking for in verse 46, and he does the same thing as the example in the first parable. He sells all that he has to acquire it. That's the right response. So whether you stumble upon something in the kingdom or whether you seek it and you find it, the response is to immediately do whatever it takes to acquire it and take possession of it. Don't blabber about it. Don't celebrate too prematurely. Don't get cocky. Get humble. Allow the Holy Spirit to strip you. Allow the Holy Spirit. That's what that, that's what that selling all you, ha- all you have is. That's a stripping. And that's humbling, Amen. I think of people that lose in life everything they have. I think of people in these storms and, uh, you know, when the the storms come and blow away everything. I was out there in New Orleans when we were doing a mission trip out there, and we went through neighborhoods where there were only really imprints of where the foundation used to be. The houses were built on slabs, and everything was blown away. Say, wow, they lost everything. Yeah, and that's a sad thing unless we are willing to lose everything to obtain something so much more precious, the things of the kingdom. So I conclude with this. Are we sold out for the kingdom of God? Is it the call above all for all of us? Are we seeking the things of God's kingdom with a right attitude? Do we have oil in our lamps because the bridegroom is coming? And we need to keep oil in our lamps. No earthly treasure, no earthly experience, no relationship or pleasure in this world compares to the joy of knowing Jesus and walking in his perfect will. Amen. Let's give him praise tonight.